0: I wonder if we are conscious enough of the part we play in God's plan to restore order and goodness and beauty in the world. Are are you aware of the power that's been given to you? Those of you that have put your faith in Christ, received the spirit of God, the power of the spirit, are you traveling minute by minute, hour by hour, week by week, month by month, with the idea that you matter in the kingdom, significant, that you are uh, full of potential and capability to accomplish that whole idea of bringing heaven to earth. Do you? you? (laughs) It it takes a lot of reminding. because a lot of indications in our life that cause us to believe otherwise. We see the mistakes we make. We, we feel and, and, and sense the attitudes in our hearts that are opposite of God, and we think, how much good can I really be? Where the truth of the matter is, quite a bit. We're talking about this power, and I think we'll be talking about power on some level all the way through Ephesians. Paul puts down a, a foundation uh, and that sort for the rest of the teaching, and he says this in, in, in Ephesians 1, 19 through 20. He says, Um, you, you have an incomparably great power if you believe. And he says that power in you, believer, is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. That's pretty clear. The believer the follower of Jesus has been given an incomparably great, mighty strength. The same kind of power that raised Jesus from the dead is a pretty significant power, wouldn't you say? The problems come into play when we begin to imagine that power working out in our life in ways that are more worldly and more natural and more obvious in, in the way we perceive power. We think that the power of God, being a power above all other powers, is a power like the powers of the world, world but greater. But we come to find out that the power of God is is utterly different than the powers that we are familiar with, the powers that we typically use, the powers that we are comfortable deploying. They're very, very different. It also brings about a very, very different end. It brings about the kinds of things the soul longs for and the world aches for. It's the kind of stuff that can be brought about that are otherwise never found. There are powerful things in the world. There are things we can do in this world that that bolster us, that make us feel better, more powerful, stronger, brighter, whatever. But the power of God dwarfs all of those things. What our soul deeply longs for cannot be found apart from Christ, apart from the spirit of God, apart from the power that he provides. What happens when we start to live in that stream of power is the imago Dei, the image of God in you. We'll talk more about that. I don't know how much you travel with that idea either, but the image of God is within you. No matter who you are, every human Created in the image of God, and that image within you, surfacing because of the power of God, is what revolutionizes life. We've been talking about uh, the ins and outs of Jesus. So we've called the series, which essentially is talking about a place of peace out of which one can powerfully live. The ins and outs of Jesus, a place of peace, a place of rest, out of which We powerfully live in a way that is foreign to the world, a place actually that's impossible to find. (laughs) Left to yourself, the human cannot find its way to this place of peace. As hard as we try to find a place of peace and a place of power, it is unfindable on your own. It's not unlike the secret lever to a secret door on the shed that I built out back of my house. I'm not lying to you. I built a shed with a secret lever and a secret door. I show it to people, my secret lever, because it's so cool. Whether you're young or old, if you see my secret lever and the secret door, you get excited. It's very fun. I showed it to two little people just the other day. The DeRosarios were over, Ethan and Emmy. And I said, hey, you want to see the secret lever and the secret door in my shed, which is like, you know, candy for a kid. Yeah, sure. So we go out and I said, there's a secret lever and a secret door. And they go, what about that door? And I go, that's not the door. That's a deception. There's a secret lever, and they're looking all around. I finally showed them the leather, and they were shocked because it was right in front of their face. It's hidden, but you can see it. Doesn't seem like a lever, but it is a lever. It's really fun. It's really fun. We went back inside, we were just hanging out together. Alicia and Tammy were doing something. They weren't quite done. And one of them said, hey, why don't you guys, they were getting a little stir crazy after we were inside for a while. why don't you guys go downstairs in the basement for a little while? We have a few more minutes left. And here's what they said. We don't wanna go because it's boring. There's nothing down there. I was right behind them as we were starting to make our way down the steps. And I said this, you have no idea the kind of stuff you haven't seen in my basement. The best stuff down there is hidden. And they believed me. They had reason to believe, right? I'd already set this up. And so you can imagine, the rest of the journey down those steps was an entirely different attitude and energy after I said the best stuff down there is hidden. We climbed into a crawl space. We dug through some old boxes and found one particular box that had a 45-year-old dinosaur parts in it. I'm not lying to you had 45-year-old dinosaur parts in there. It was invigorating. We we found this hidden jewel. And Then they had to go. We didn't even get to put those parts together. Had we kept digging, we would have found some undesirable things as well. Spiders, mold, mildew, beady little eyes that vanished in a second, (laughs) moth-eaten memorabilia. That was all there too hidden, right along with all the cool stuff. God makes the very same thing clear to us on a much grander scale. Much is hidden. That which is truly true, that which is truly beautiful, that which is truly invigorating, that which is truly broken, that which is truly devastating... It's often spiritual in nature, unable to be seen with our own eyes, impossible to find, impossible to see on our own. We see some evidences of the good things that God has created in this world, but we don't see it as clearly as we can. We cannot. Just what Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He says, look, without me, without the humility to reconsider all that you think is real and true, you can't find what's truly true. Unless you're born again, you cannot see it. Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, not against the things we can see, against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world. And it's against these things, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. He says, look, there's way more going on here than just what you see. Paul says that Jesus enables us to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. There are deep, deep mysteries in the world. Much, if not most of it, is hidden. But God has always been revealing, always Showing the real world, showing himself, illuminating the mysteries. He's wrapped up in creation and life. He's always showing us his secret levers, his hidden doors, the cool stuff. God says, Your word is a your word his word is a lamp to the feet of humanity, a light to their path. That's Psalm 110 in Isaiah 42, it says, I will take you by the hand, I will keep you, I will give you a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind. Isaiah 9 says, Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. God's always revealing, always shedding light. And then relatively suddenly, almost literally out of nowhere. Jesus shows up and entrusts humanity, and entrusts humanity. Those who would search for him, a whole new insight. Almost literally out of nowhere, coming from Nazareth, what people would say, nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Coming out of a, a couple who uh, uh, were out of wedlock when he was conceived. Jesus shows up in a garage, not a palace, a a carpenter, not a king. But nonetheless, God incarnate to enlighten the world. God's always been revealing, always been showing, always been inviting, always giving glimpses, but then Jesus shows up, God incarnate, and just exposes everything. Paul says this way, he says, this is how you ought to regard us, Paul speaking to those that are new believers or some that are even becoming, are uh, moving in that direction. He says, um, This is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Those that are in Jesus, those that are in Christ, those that are in Him, as Paul's been saying in the first parts of this chapter, are entrusted with the mysteries of God. They've been revealed in Jesus. He says, You should look at us as not just servants of Christ, but ones who have been entrusted with the mysteries. And he goes on, he says, therefore, judge nothing. Listen, don't don't believe or act as though you know what is going on in this world. Don't judge. You You don't understand the mystery, so don't judge. Don't assume you can see before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring light on what is hidden in the darkness. The believers have been trusted with the mysteries of the world. Those without that shouldn't judge, they shouldn't claim to know what this world is about, which happens all the time. We are surrounded by voices and messages and instructors and teachers that do not know Jesus, but claim to know what the world is about and how it works and what is needed. Paul says, you can't, you got to wait on Jesus. And Jesus was all about this, this enlightenment, this bringing truth to, to bear. Uh, he healed blind people, lots of them. It was a pretty powerful metaphor for bringing light into the world. He, he, he healed people in Capernaum, he healed them in Bethsaida and on the road to Jericho and in Jerusalem, Jesus caused people to see physically but also into the mysteries of life. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. He says, for judgment, he comes to judge. He says, you shouldn't judge judge says, I judge. I, I am the exposing light. I am the authoritative clarity. That's what, that's what it means in, in this context, to judge. I bring authoritative clarity. I came into this world so that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. The light that Jesus shines into the world, the, the, the enlightenment that comes as a result of him divides us into two people. Two types of people, those who can now spiritually see and those who won't. That's what he does. It brings a clarity for those who have the humility to believe they see. For those who do not, they will not see, although they think they see. He even sheds light on the uncleanliness of the hidden things within our hearts. Even for those who appeared to be clean at the time, Jesus said, you have a problem with your heart. Remember how he talked to the Pharisees? He says, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside where things can't be seen, where they are hidden, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. You're blind. You're blind to what's even going on in your own heart, he says, but I'll show you what's going on in your heart. And I'll shed light not just within the world and what's going on and the powers and the darknesses and the authorities and the rulers that are off track, but I'll show you how that goes into your own heart. There's hidden stuff in there too. There's a lot that's hidden. There's a lot that's hidden, much that we cannot see, much that we don't see apart from Jesus. All right, so what? What's the big deal? Who cares if we can't see everything, right? It seems like it's better not to see everything right? I don't want to see all this. It's better to stick your head in the sand sometimes. Denial ain't just a river in Egypt. Why go rummaging around in a crawl space with all sorts of yuck? Why not just eat, drink, and be happy? Well, because mostly we just eat and drink. We're not that happy. We might be happy for a little bit until we eat more, drink more. We want to be happy. We think we can be happy. There are powers in this world that can make us happy for a time, but we're not really happy. And if we are, we end up not all that happy. We can't stay happy. It's a rat race searching for answers that can't be found. The promises that this life offers are empty, oftentimes dark, oppressive, manipulated, manipulative. But they're powerful. The stuff that we listen to, the, uh, the ways that we're influenced, uh, the, the, the trains that we get on are powerful, but they ultimately discourage us. They control us. They suck the light of us, the life out of us. They, um, we find ourselves, I, I, at least I do, uh, do you find yourself repeating the same folly over and over, uh, falling prey to the, the powers that, want to influence us and then and then we invariably experience the results of those things insecurities and guilts and shames we experience all the lows that maybe predictably unavoidably follow the highs it's these powers precisely that paul's praying about in ephesians not surprisingly paul prays for light And he prays for sight, to not only see such things, but to know, to apprehend, and experience a greater power. Listen to what he says earlier in Ephesians. He says, I keep asking God of of the Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, that he may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you might know him better. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. It's inviting, right? He's praying for this to happen. Why? It's, it's, it's compelling. And this is where he says, in his incomparably great power for us who believe we have this power, the power is the same as the strength that raised Jesus from the dead. Paul's praying that we would see, that we would be healed of this blindness, in order to know the powers that are influencing us and to know the power that is unlike any other one in the world, this resurrection power, this death-beating power, this power that raises one up. He goes on, in the spirit of raising one up, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age but also in the one to come. We're being offered something in Jesus that Paul is struggling really to even describe in grandiose enough terms. There's a, there's a, there's a future hope that he's calling us into. But there's also a present reality with Jesus. There, there is this place of peace that we're being called into that is a platform for powerful life that is hard to describe. He's saying there's actually a way in Christ that you can be freed, that you can be above, if it will, the debilitating reach of the powers of the world, those that enslave and oppress and cause shame and guilt, all of these influences that saturate the world. He's saying there is a way out of that, and it's by the same power that brought Jesus out from his dead state, if you will. It's the same power. Paul's praying that these new believers and all people, really, would experience a grace from God to see and know this same power, um, it's a, in a sense, it's an escaping power. It's an ability to disentangle from the things in the world that keep us from living out our life the way that is best and good. Where does it come from? What is it? What is it? How do you get it? How, do, how does it work? We're going to be digging into that stuff throughout the rest of Ephesians. Let me give you a little over, overview. It requires sort of a revisit to Genesis one. In Acts 1 and Ephesians 1. In Acts 1, we see the purpose and power, the source and the purpose of the power. You remember this? Some of Jesus' last words, they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom of Israel? Are you gonna finally administrate the power that you clearly have in the ways that we imagine that power coming about? Are you gonna, are you gonna, throw that lever? Are you going to are you going to force this world to be like you intended it to be? Are you doing that? Is that is that what's going to happen now? Now that you've been raised from the dead, are you going to bring it and get this world in order? He says, "Well, it's not really for you to know uh, what the times and the places that the order of the world will be put back. But he says, "You will receive power. You will receive power. I'm not going to use the power, my power in the way you think I am. But I'm going to put a power in you, the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a power, and with that power, you are going to be my witnesses. Power that God gives us and Jesus doesn't come from the world. It's, it, 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 it's, not, it's not about us using the powerful things of the world to bring about the things of God. We sometimes think that's the case. You say, no, I'm giving you power directly by the Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses, which means what? We know one part of witness usually is the message that we've been given. Like, who is Jesus? What's the gospel? What's what's it about? How does salvation come on? What is grace? Yeah, there is a message, but it's deeper. We're not just sharing a message. We're intended to be witnesses that are reflecting him into the world. We are to be a witness by carrying the name of Jesus and to bear the image of God. It was coming back to the, the Imago Dei. What we, we are to be in the world, empowered by the Spirit, uh, the, the image of God. Who who God is, who, who God even was in the form of Jesus is now being handed off by Jesus to the church, to those who believe. And in us, the image of God is to come about. Genesis 1 says, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And they did. Within you is the image of God, the potential, if you will, Seriously, to be godlike. <laughs> you, have, you have the potential, you're made in the image of God, you have the potential to be godlike. Not as in equal in authority, godlike, or equal in holiness as godlike, or, or omniscience, but in heart, in character. What image is coming about in you? What image is coming about in you, in me? We have an implanted sacredness, a dignity, a value, a potential to bear the image of God, to have the image of God surface within us. But the powers of this world sometimes irresistibly pull us away from God and are intended image-bearing nature of God. We end up reflecting the world. We take on the, 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 the powerful ways of this world. We are influenced by the powers of this world, and we start to reflect that into the world. The world tends to Um, well, how do you say, it, it tends to em, uh, embrace or exhibit power uh, in controlling ways, in dominating, dominating ways, impressive ways. And you might think, ah, I don't do that. I'm not oppressive, I'm not controlling. Well, some of you know you're controlling. <clears throat> the person next to you is helping you, you're controlling. But if you think about it, we do. We can be deceptive. Can we not? We can withhold. can withhold gratitude. We can withhold encouragement. Why? It's powerful. We break promises. We are... Unforgiving. Why would why would we not ever forgive someone? Because it's powerful. I can control you if I don't forgive you. We ridicule. Why? Makes me feel better, makes me feel bigger, makes me feel stronger. It's powerful. We shame. We get angry, why do we get angry? Why do we get angry and throw a fit? It's powerful, it's very powerful. We become arrogant, prideful. Sometimes we're powerful just by talking way too much. Just talk and talk and talk. You can be powerful by being apathetic. Indifferent. You can just go, nope, not going to do it. Why? Because I can. It's powerful. Indifference. Insincerity. You can identify these things because. by kind of looking at who does it help? Does it help me or does it help someone else? It usually helps me when it's wrong. I have an agenda. I have an outcome that I want. And I use these tools to get there. And if it works, I'm going to have more power by way of wealth or accolades or comfort or security or safety or validation. But you know what happens if you are able to acquire those things? They become even more powerful in your life because you're afraid to lose them. And then we do some crazy things to hold on to what we have. We can also tell when we're using the power of the world uh, at our, for our purposes because it ends up being divisive. The powers of this world divide, they push down, they separate. It's, it's hard hitting to think about that. And Jesus raises the standard even further. So it's not just how you behave, it's what's going on in your heart, right? What if I say, Well, I forgive you, but I don't? And my heart, he's like, mm, That's a dark power. And it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you, it's going to hurt the world. Means I want you to be more than uh, not. Outwardly angry. I don't even want you to be angry in your heart. That, that anger that's in your heart is the evidence that there's a power at work that is ungodly in you. He's like, I, I wanna take you from that. The, the, the powers of this world are controlling and dominating, oppressive, and we practice them, we do. And as a result, that image is what ultimately is coming out of us. But the image of God comes about through the power of his spirit and no other way power of the Spirit is a freeing power, uh, a a humble power, if you will, uh, a a power that is, is uplifting. The Son of Man, Jesus says about himself, did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. The image of God comes about not in deception, deception at all, but through truthfulness. It doesn't come about through withholding. It comes about through openness. It doesn't come about through abandonment. It comes about through pursuit and keeping promises and forgiveness and grace and not shaming, but validation and valuing and yielding and rescuing and humility and listening and thoughtfulness and Straightforwardness and contentment and even vulnerability. Those things aren't only not natural. We're not able. But the Spirit empowers those things. You can see the evidence of the power of God in a life because the self is diminished and others are raised up. It's not division that happens, it's in the surprising and shocking unity that happens. What image is coming about in you? Ephesians one then says, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. There's a lot in here. I just want to focus on two things. When you believed, you were marked with him uh, him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Inheritance. One of the things that we gain through the gift of Jesus is a certain future. A peace about our eternity. An assurance about the approval of God. It can't be taken away. We have an inheritance. It's, It's been assured. It's been signed and sealed. And in Jesus, you will have it. Your future with God is certain. The inheritance will come. And there's a deposit guaranteeing that inheritance. You might say proving the inheritance. We live in this now but not yet space. The end is true. The forgiveness is complete. Eternity is ours. We are positionally seated with Christ the right hand of God even now. In Him, We're already there. We're, in, we're not. We're still here. Now, but not yet. We're in him. Forgiveness is done. Life is complete. Our place with God is already occupied in a sense. But until we physically die, we now live within this spiritual reality that we are aware of, that we can see, and we are empowered to live in it. We're in an in the meantime reality and an experience that's made possible by the Holy Spirit, a deposit. We don't get the full enjoyment of the presence of God until we're there. But the Spirit of God is a deposit reminds us of that and enables us to be a part of it now. Like Adam was saying, we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, reflects this very idea that the spirit of God within us, the church, the believers, now live into the world in a way that is utterly different than the world itself. And in so doing, having that capacity should remind us and does remind us of what is real and what is true and what my future holds, we can see it happening in part now by the Spirit's work through the church, through this deposit. Paul says, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. In a mirror, kind of darkly. We can't see it completely, but it's happening. We're being transformed, he says, into the same image from glory to glory just as by the spirit of the Lord. It's a lot hidden. Apart from Jesus, we can't even begin to grasp the depth of the depravity of the hearts of men. We see the evidence of it, but we don't know the depth of it. But we also don't understand the beauty that God wants to bring around in this world. We don't understand. But in him, we can see it, at least in part, and we live in accordance with the spirit in this world, the image of God is surfacing within us together as a church. There is, Paul says, for every human an in incomparably great power available for those who believe and that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. It is not easy to raise you. (laughs) It takes the same power it took for Jesus to be raised from the dead, to to, to bring sight and light and uh, God action into your life by his spirit. It's a huge deal. It's a monumental effort to forgive you and to free you from the grip of this world. It's not easy. It cannot be done on your own takes the work of God to forgive you and free you from the grip of this world. Only God can do it. It happens in those who embrace the secret that's now clear in Jesus. The result of that powerful spirit within us is equally massive. A new humanity, a flourishing humanity, in eternal humanity. In Jesus, God provides a place of peace to rest where the end game is settled, true rest in the gift of unconditional love of God for eternity. And from that place, a life of power emerges, enabling us to reflect the image of God Disentangled from the powers of this world, freely reflecting the character of God. This is what the Spirit does for us. This is what the work of Jesus is, a place of rest out of which a life of power, not as the world sees it, but in alignment with the character of God, the image of God. Let me close with reading Ephesians 1-7 earlier in the letter and and pray. In him, Paul says, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. God, it is a high calling to be your image bearers. We are grateful, thankful, anxious to see it come about. Fearful in many ways, it will fail. God, but you've sent your son so that we can be forgiven. You've sent your spirit so that we can live it out. God, help us together as a church, bear your image in a world that needs you so very much. In Jesus' name, amen.